Uh, I want to uh, invite you to take a look at the screens. I'm going to show you a video that kind of sets up where we're going today. And um, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and asking the question, really the really difficult question of, are we after his kingdom or are, am I really after my kingdom? And this video is a little bit longer than we would typically play. It's a six-minute video, so you, but, but it's really good, and it sets up this whole idea of God's kingdom and what that looks like for, for God's space, the, the kingdom of, of heaven, to intersect with our space, the kingdom of earth. So take a look at the video screens, and we'll go from there. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together, perfectly no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted... God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, 
I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. There you go, the kingdom of God. Isn't that a great little video? That's produced, um, that's produced by a couple guys uh, up in Portland, Oregon, who started a... Um, a group called The Bible Project. They've got a whole bunch of those videos that are really great at explaining the themes of the Bible. So if you're interested in that, you can go check those out. But it, this video does a great job of kind of tracing the history all the way back to the Israelites and, and God's intention uh, to present day and, and even in the future kingdom to come where he's going to fully unite the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth back to uh, what he originally wanted it to be and restore it and and here's the thing right now we get to live in that middle section we're living in that middle time where we only see a glimpse of God's kingdom but he's inviting us to be a part of establishing and ushering in that kingdom and we as his followers as his disciples get this dynamic incredible privilege of living out his gospel in a way that establishes his kingdom. That is something to rejoice about. 
And so this morning, we're going to celebrate and we're going to rejoice that God is asking us to represent his kingdom and establish that kingdom. But we're also going to look at how we do that. What does it take for us to be people who are willing to step into that journey and be part of that mission? Jesus, um, Jesus challenged us in this, and he challenged the disciples uh, way back when he was teaching them and starting to lay out what it would look like to be a disciple. And in Matthew chapter uh, 6, and well, actually the whole Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew, he lays out this plan of what it looks like for his followers to be disciples and actually follow him into his kingdom. Now, this was something that was very, very different than what they expected. The kingdoms that they knew were about military force and might. They were about authority and uh, notoriety. And so Jesus came and he talked about these things like, blessed are those who mourn. Or he said, the, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That you have to be a servant. That you have to love your enemy. And he said all of these crazy things that didn't make sense if you're going to establish a kingdom. And yet, that's the th- those are the things that he called his disciples to do. It was this upside-down kingdom. And that was both very intriguing to people because they had never heard anything like it, but it was also very challenging to people because they had to literally die to themselves. And... So at points, he would have a crowd gather because his message was popular. And then he would say things that were difficult, and they would all, a bunch of them would leave because it was really hard. And we still live in that struggle today, that difficulty of this upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that, that ushers us into the love and the presence and the grace and the beauty of God, but then challenges us to die to ourselves, to live it out and establish it. This dif- the, the beauty of it and the difficulty of it. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes to, to take a look at how do we live in this kingdom? And then also, how do we live out that kingdom? Those two questions. It's kind of where we're headed today. In the video, it references Jesus where he says, that he invites his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, here at the church, I hope that we are a people that are praying that and, and believing that, that we want to see his kingdom come. And, and I, I, this is a point of rejoicing because we are seeing some incredible things happen in, as you, Antioch, go and do ministry in our city. And it's awesome to see God's kingdom being established. But there's also a challenge and there's a struggle that we face of embracing this and really living it out. And so this morning, I want to read for you the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there if you have your Bible with you. We're going to walk through this together and, and look at the words of Jesus to us, instructing us how to live in his kingdom. Now, Jesus, um, Jesus doesn't focus in here necessarily on practices. This is the beauty about this, this scripture, about the Lord's Prayer, is that it is both prescriptive and descriptive. 
Here's what I mean by that. It's prescriptive because it prescribes to us a way to pray. But God's kingdom is not just about practices. See, when we think about living in God's kingdom, we want to revert sometimes to the spiritual disciplines. Okay, how, how do I pray? Am I, am, I, am I in the Bible enough? Am I, am I worshiping? Am I fasting? Am I tithing? Do I, do I receive communion? Like Those are Christian practices. Those are things that we do that are deeply meaningful to our faith journey. But that is the result of a value system. Those aren't the things that create the value system. And so embedded in the Lord's Prayer is not only the prescription of practices and ways that we should pray, but they actually describe postures that kingdom people take. And so disciples are people who take the posture who can pray these things. And so if these things aren't your prayer, maybe you need to adjust your posture in your life to embrace a different value system, a value system that God has for you. So let's take a look at this, read through this, and, um, and we'll describe that as we go. So it starts off, it says, verse 9, pray then like this. Okay, that sounds like practices, but again, it's that multi-layered. First thing, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's beautiful. Scholars have taken a look at this and they have... um, analyzed all of the different elements and the order in which it's given. But here's the key. These are principles to live our lives by, not just a formula by which we pray. So in here is our principles or postures that we need to embrace to live out these kingdom values. So what are these postures that that help us live in the kingdom of God? Let's take a look at these. The first one is surrender instead of control. Surrender instead of control. So this passage starts off by saying, hallowed be your name. That is, that word hallowed is literally worship before the Lord. It's, it's the first thing I'm going to do before I pray anything else is I'm going to give God his rightful place at the center of everything. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Lord, you are above anything else in my life. Hallowed be your name. We worship your name. It starts with him. He has the central place. And then it moves from that into verse 10, and it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So this is the, this is the hard part, is we don't like to surrender. Surrendering doesn't come easy or natural, but control sure does, doesn't it? We love to control things. Control is, is really easy. And we will control even the most minute things that we can. And, w- and we love, we, w- we will revel in the little things that we can hold on tight to and it gives us an anchor of security. But we've got to be people who surrender before the Lord. Now, uh, in Bible college, 
uh, I lived all four, year, uh, all four years of, of college in the dorms. And uh, as young, immature men will do, some ridiculous things took place in the dorms. And I remember one, um, <laughs> one particular contest that we did, uh, me and a bunch of the guys in the dorm, someone's great middle-of-the-night um, idea was that it would be great to have a contest to see who could wear their underwear the longest. I know, it's disgusting. Now, I don't know what kind of Christian, righteous activities were happening in the girls' dorm because none of us had dates with the girls. But in the guys' dorm, we all were seeing how long we could go without changing our underwear. And now this had some parameters to it, some rules. So you had to wear the same pair of underwear and you had, like if you worked out, regardless, you had, that was it. So now not wanting, none of the guys wanting to be lesser uh, of the man, nobody wanted to be the first one to drop out. So everybody's like holding out like, okay, how long is this actually going to go for? You know, like, how long do I really have to do this? So, but I wasn't about to be the first one to drop out. So, uh, now I'm going to restrain from telling you where I finished in the continuum of time. It was pretty early on. I, I, will, I will say that. But the winner was over 30 days. <laughs> and there was a whole handful of guys that, that were right there with him, going the distance. And it's because these stupid things, we didn't want to give in. You don't want to surrender. You don't want to be the lesser, like even something as disgusting as that contest. Like that is a one little ridiculous point of control. And we have these different, now I don't think that you have that contest going on in your life. At least I hope you don't. But but we hold on to these ridiculous points of control in our lives. And Jesus says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, it starts by saying, hallowed be your name, Lord. You have the central place. Now your kingdom come and your will be done, not mine. That is a crazy thing to say because his kingdom is radical. It's upside down. It's totally different than what we expect or our culture values. But when we do that and we embrace that and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, I'm all in, then he can start to use us to establish his kingdom the way he designed it in the beautiful way that he, he ingrains it in the rest of his body of Christ and, and what he's already at work doing. We can't fully represent him when we're holding on to the reins ourselves. And so this first posture is to surrender instead of control. The second thing here in, um, as, as we look at living in his kingdom, the second posture is incarnation instead of institution. Incarnation instead of institution. Here's, that, here's what that looks like. In verse 10, he says, on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? that his kingdom would reflect 
the beauty and the reality of heaven. That we right now, we get to experience a little taste, a little piece of what heaven is like. And just like Jesus, he came and he incarnated God to us. In, in, that, in that video, it shows, it shows the little purple pockets going out of Jesus' presence. That, that he came and he was establishing his kingdom everywhere that he went and interacted with people. And it says he, he literally took on the flesh, God took on the flesh of humanity and came to us to show us how to do this. Well, incarnation for us is the same thing. That we've been commissioned on his behalf to go and be his, his, his disciples, his kingdom makers. And so that means that we put on Jesus and the fullness of who he is by the power of the Holy Spirit and we go and be him. Now that is so different. That is so different than the approach a lot of times that the church takes of professional ministry because that's the role of all of us. That's what all of us have been called to and all of us uh, commissioned to do. So see those, those pockets of, put that, if you can, put that slide up for me. That, those pockets right there uh, of, of the gospel taking place in the ugliness of our humanity. Those aren't churches. Those aren't huddles of Christians. Those aren't institutions of the church or professional minist- uh, missionaries or ministries. Those are you. Being Jesus in your world. That's you in your neighborhood. Being the light of God to your neighbors. That's, that's God calling you to be part of what he's doing all over the city. Now the cool thing is that we're seeing that happen. Today, later on, I'm going uh, to join the rest of my community group at Laundry Love. And I'll tell you that Laundry Love is one of those places. God's kingdom is being established in a laundromat in Simi Valley. And it's awesome. But I wonder if we're so used to the rhythms of institution that we forget to live out incarnation. Don't forget. If you want to be gospel people, people who are living in God's kingdom, he's called us to follow his example by living incarnationally. That's hard because it's risky. It's risky to live that way. It's risky to live in that kingdom where God calls you to love your enemies and to care about your neighbors, even the weird ones. It's risky and it's hard. But if we don't live out who Jesus is to people, who's going to do it? We've got to do it. The third posture to help us live in the kingdom is dependence instead of self-reliance. Dependence instead of self-reliance. As the Lord's Prayer continues in verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today the daily bread that we need to survive. Lord, give me today exactly what it requires for me to live and survive in your kingdom. It's not, Lord, 
give me what I want for the week, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go and do my own thing. It's not, Lord, help me out for the month, and uh, I'll do your work along the way. No, in this, there is an absolute dependence on God for our very sustenance. Now, this is reminiscent of Israel wandering the wilderness, right? They got out there in the wilderness and had nothing to eat, but God provided this stuff called manna. And so in the morning when the dew evaporated, it would leave behind this like bread-like substance. And they, they used that as their nourishment for the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. And here was the thing about manna is they could not collect it. God would not let them collect it for the next day. If they tried to hoard it or save it, it would rot. It had an expiration date of one day. And that meant that, that, meant that the nation of Israel had to, they were forced to depend on God for their very existence, for their very life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be people who are living in my kingdom, you're going to have to depend on me. You're going to have to depend on me for your very existence and all of who you are in your life. You're not going to be able to depend on your talents, your gifts, your job or your income, your comfort, your family. You're not going to be able to depend on any of those things. I want you wholly dependent on me. I want you lean and mean so you can accomplish my will in this world. And the beauty of that is that just like Israel experienced, we get to see God faithfully show up every time. We get to see him bless us and use us to do incredible, incredible things. That has been the story of this church. That at every stop along the way and every season of this church, God has provided as we have depended on him. It's been incredible. And I bet there's a lot of stories in this room personally where you can uh, testify to how he's shown up in your life as well. When we depend on him and be people who will live dependent on him rather than reliant on ourselves. The fourth posture to help us live in this kingdom Moving on is grace instead of judgment. I love this. Grace, God's grace is incredible. It's extravagant. In verse 12, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So there's already in this verse an expectation that you are forgiving, that you're extending grace to people. But I I love how God says, instructs us to pray, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Lord, we need your forgiveness. But it comes in the context of us doing that as well. In Matthew 18, there's this great little dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And Peter comes to Jesus and says, uh, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now think about this. Think about this for a minute. If somebody sinned against you, let's say, for instance, somebody, somebody uh, starts spreading lies about you, rumors, and this is your friend, and it, comes, it gets back to you, you catch wind of this, that they're spreading these lies that are completely false about you, and you, you, would, you would know, like, okay, I need to have grace, I need to love them, I need to go, we need to work through this and make this right, and you might go and do that. But what if they turn around and did that again? 
the exact same thing. And you're like, we just worked through this. I just extended you grace and forgiveness on this, and you did it again. That would be hard, and you'd have to work through that. Now, what if that happened consecutively seven times in a row? You would be ticked off. You'd be like, okay, we're done. I'm, I'm over this. You are not my friend. There's no grace for you. No grace. And that, look at Jesus' response to Peter. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Oh, man. Uh-oh. The bar just got raised. Now, that Jesus isn't saying like the 78th time, forget it, they're out. He's, he's, he's driving home the point that, look, in God's kingdom, the grace is extravagant. It's ridiculous. And that's the kind of grace-filled, loving people that get to represent his kingdom. Because if we're representing the kingdom of heaven, oh man, how many times has God forgiven you for sinning against him? It's probably a lot more than 77, right? Absolutely. And so if we are people who establish God's kingdom and, and, and get to, to represent that, then there's no room for judgment. There's only room for grace. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that God calls us to be a doormat or to be abused. He never expects us to be abused by other people. But he does expect us to love people and accept people and extend grace to people. And I wonder, as the church, you know, as the body of Christ has kind of this stigma as judgmental people, I wonder if we could get over that and have the reputation of being grace-filled people. I wonder that if somebody walked in the, the door this morning and looked weird and acted strange and was completely different than us, if we could love them or if we would be kind of staring at them out of the corner of our eye and keeping our eye on them and developing this whole like, storyline for them in our minds of what their background must be. I wonder if we can make the leap and be people who just are full of grace and just be, be, be people of Jesus to people. That's what it looks like to, to live in God's kingdom that we're filled with grace instead of judgment. The final posture to help us live in his kingdom is vulnerable instead of hardened. Boy, they don't get any easier, do they? Vulnerable instead of hardened. So in verse 13 uh, of the Lord's Prayer here, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So now the focus here is on our own vulnerability and dependence on God. It says, lead us not into temptation. Now we know from the book of James where it says that Jesus will not tempt us. He doesn't tempt us to do evil, but he will test us and lead us through seasons where we are tested. And so Jesus' point here is that we need to know in ourselves where our weaknesses are, where our temptations lie. We need to be uh, self-aware about our weaknesses. And we need to be able to say, Lord, 
here is the weakness of my humanity and I am just going to be laid bare before you. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not holding anything back. This is who I am. I know I'm weak. So Lord, preserve me, protect me, keep me from evil, help me in these areas. There's a vulnerability before the Lord. Now, I, I know the, some of the places I am weak. I, uh, I have a great weakness for tri-tip burritos. I have a horrible weakness in my life for chocolate chip cookies. If any of you are good at making chocolate chip cookies, I'd love to know that. But listen, we've got to know our weaknesses in the depths of who we are. Say, Lord, this thing about judgment and grace, that's really hard for me. So God, I give that to you. I give it to you. Lord, I need you to preserve me and protect me and keep me from evil in that area. We, we, we've got we to be vulnerable before God. But here's the other thing. It also requires that we're vulnerable before other people. And that's sometimes even harder. Because we've got we to gotta lay ourselves open for people to see the ugliness of our own sin. But the beauty of being vulnerable before people is that people then get the opportunity to see God redeem it and restore it. And what a testimony that is. What an amazing way that God establishes his kingdom through our pain and our weakness. Job is like the poster child of God's testing, right? This poor guy endured everything. He got his family stripped away, his riches stripped away, everything stripped away from him. He was a righteous man, and he was a God-fearing, loving uh, follower of God. And it, as God stripped things away, he came to the Lord and, uh, in his own righteousness, and he said, okay, Lord, what's up here? He searched his heart. He said, Lord, I'm bare before you. I want to be searched by you. Lord, you know the weaknesses of my heart. If there's anything that I've done, I want to know it. I'm... I'm I'm an open book. And he even went to his friends and he, he was vulnerable before them and said, look, if you've got some insight into what's going wrong here, I need to know it. And we've got to be people who are willing to be vulnerable about our own weakness and allow God to use those points in, in keeping us from evil to be a witness for his kingdom. Because that's one of the most powerful things. Boy, it will change the dialogue and it will change the atmosphere of a room when you're serious about what you've been through in your life. It changes things. People feel free to share their own struggles and hurts. Last thing here, the final posture to help us live in this kingdom is... Sorry, that was it. <laughs> That was the last one. But, but here, so here's the thing. Living in God's kingdom requires these postures. It requires us to live out these ways that God calls us to live as his, as his disciples. But here's, here's the thing about God's kingdom. You can't just live in it. You can't just live in his kingdom. We have to live out his kingdom. We have to be people who do something with it. We can't just huddle as the church and enjoy each other's company. We can't just come together on a Sunday and worship 
and leave and go about our business. Unless you're living out God's kingdom, you're not really living in God's kingdom because it's a package deal. It's like, it's like your username and password. Have you ever filled in your username and then you, you, fill, you start going through the list of your passwords? Invalid, invalid, and you're like, oh, great. I've got like a million different variations of the same password. You know what I'm talking about? You get to the bottom of all of the possibilities of your password and you're like, well, maybe the username was wrong. And so you put in a different email address and you start at the top of the list and work down. It doesn't work and you're like, oh, it must have been the username. I, I go back to the original and start the list again. It was the first one and you misspelled it. Has that ever happened to you? Unless you have both pieces of those information, your username and your password, you're not getting into that account. God's kingdom, it works the same way. This is a package deal. You don't just get to come to God's presence and soak it all up and enjoy without living it out and doing something with it. And so we've got to be people who live this out. So how do we do that? How do we live out God's kingdom? How do we live it out in a way that other people experience it and it establishes his presence? Well, number one, we've got to be desperate. We have to be desperate. Now, that's not like a, uh, a formula. That's not a one, two, three, do these things, and you're, you'll, be doing, you'll be living out God's kingdom. That's a real value, like vague level thing, right? But that's where it starts. And I got to tell you, I've been uh, in kind of a two or three year process where God has really had to work in me a new heart for people and a fresh desperateness for his, for his kingdom. I want to tell you, I, 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 want, I want to be desperate for him. I want to see my condo complex know Jesus Christ. I want to see our city one to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be incredible if this valley was known that that's the valley just over the hill from L.A. that is crazy on fire for Jesus? I want to be desperate for that. I want to long for Jesus' presence to be established here. And I think that he longs for that too. He longs for a people. He's desperate for a people who would say, that's me. That's my calling. That's what God's called me to do. Nothing will get in my way. I want to be desperate for you, Jesus. That's his kingdom being established. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 18, it says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, listen to this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love this language, ambassadors. We carry the full weight and authority of Jesus Christ as he goes before us and empowers us with the Holy Spirit to represent him and his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. And then there's these, this language of desperation, of begging. We implore you on Christ's behalf to do something. 
to take action, to be his ambassador. We gotta do this. And we can do this. And we are doing this. That's the cool thing. We're seeing this happen. We're seeing those pockets of God being, God's kingdom being established. Man, we just, there was just a team that came back from Brazil ministering and they, they, uh, they were able to give away and fit um, uh, 200 wheelchairs to people in need. We're doing incredible things in partnership with the ministry going on in Haiti. We're seeing uh, lives being transformed there. I mean, all, all kinds of awesome stuff is breaking loose. But we've got to be people who say, God, I am desperate for that. I'm desperate for your kingdom to come. I'm desperate for your will to be established. And the second thing here, the second thing that we'll, we'll end with is in living out God's kingdom, we've got to do something. Simple, right? We've got to do something about it. We can't come and talk about it. We can't just come and rejoice in what's already happened. We can't just come and, and worship. No, we got to do something. If we're really that desperate, let's do something about it. Let's live this out. Let's have fun as we join God on mission and be his kingdom where he's already at work. I love this story of Paul and uh, in in Acts chapter 16, Paul was a guy who was trying to do something. And so he goes on these missionary journeys and he just, he just says, I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit direct me along the way. And listen what happens in Acts 16 verse 6. It says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and, and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia... Wait, hold on. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word? What? Okay, now, so pause. Hold on, time out. So Paul, he's willing to be desperate. He's willing to live out the kingdom of God. He's willing to go and do something. And he goes and he does something and the Holy Spirit says, no, not there. Strike one. And what does Paul do? Instead of packing it in and going back home, going back to, to sulk in his church and just soak in God's presence in his church. He says, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to press on. And so in verse 7, it says, And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Strike two. So what's he do? He keeps going. So... Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Okay, let's, tar- let's try Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that amazing? that God was working and, and, and establishing his kingdom in Macedonia, and then he calls Paul to be a part of that. But Troas, that was strike three. So Paul, he's going and he's doing, but he's listening to the Holy Spirit, and when he hits the, the wall and he gets a no, he keeps on going. I wonder if we can be people who, 
when we hit a wall, when our neighbor would just will not show their face to the world, <laughs> and we, we would love to have a conversation with them, but they are hermits and we just can't get to them, I wonder if we could just say, okay, Holy Spirit, what is the opportunity? Where are you leading me? How can I establish your kingdom? What, do you, what are you preparing in advance for me to be a part of? We've got to figure this out. We can't just pack it in and enjoy the church. We've got to be people who do something about this and be desperate for it and say, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm going to represent Him. We've got to do something. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, go and make disciples. What was the, what's the name of the last disciple that you made? I would love to see a church full of people who are brand new in Jesus Christ because we all are going out and making disciples. We are just saying we're going to do something. We're going to take the kingdom to the streets. We're going we're to make this happen. We're going to live this out for people. We've got to be people who live in the kingdom and live out the kingdom. This is awesome stuff God, that God's called us to. This is the privilege of being called into his kingdom is that we get to represent him. So fun. And it's so fun to see it happen. It's so fun to hear testimonies of where people are engaging and finding breakthrough with their neighbors and and their workplaces. Like, you guys are doing some awesome stuff. But if that's not your story, or if those aren't your values, maybe your posture needs to change. Maybe you're... Maybe, maybe there's a new level of desperateness that needs to take place for God's kingdom. I want to pray for us uh, as the worship team comes back. And, uh, and they're going to play a song for us that is um, a new song and a point of us reflecting. And I want to ask you to take that time, and you can sing along and worship and however you'd like to, but I want to ask you to use that time to really be vulnerable like we talked about before the Lord. And just say, Lord God, I I ask that you would search me. I pray that you would show me the postures in my life that need to change so that I can embrace your kingdom in ways I haven't and I can live it out in ways that are radical. Lord God, I pray that we would be people who are discontent that we're unhappy to live the regular routine of life. That, Lord God, we would be desperate to see your kingdom break loose, those pockets of your kingdom being established in the ugly sin of this world, that we would be beacons of light and hope and grace. Lord God, I pray that you would would bring your upside-down kingdom and just deposit it in our hearts that we would take on this value system that says, Lord God, at any cost, your kingdom come. No matter what it takes, your will be done. God, use us. Like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. May I be about your kingdom. Examine us, Lord Jesus. Reveal to us by the power of your Holy Spirit those places that need to change. 
and begin that work this morning. In Jesus' name.